like you're doing closed captioning for the lyrics of the of the opening <laughs> too. <laughs> I don't know what that what that would look like. <laughs> That's why I asked you to do it. <laughs> oh, good point. Live from the Pathway Studios in Johnston Proper, you are live from the path. To live from the path, we're coming to you from the uh, Pathway Studios here in Johnston proper. Yeah, it is good to be finally back with you. I know it's been a sabbatical. Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way to call it, Mike. That's, yeah. Yeah, we, we did this intentionally. Absolutely. Okay. Shouldn't we have like refreshed or something then? Uh, done something to grow? That's why we have Egypt in here. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good call. Okay. So here's here's what we got on the docket on the show tonight. Uh, so Egypt is in. Well, she's not in studio, but we're going to talk to her. That's what we're going to do. Uh, because we were supposed to talk to her. Well, you would know that because we didn't broadcast. Crap! I uh, let the fourth wall down, Mike. Well, here's the thing: people can they, they can listen to the show once and go. You know what I bet? I bet these fellas screw stuff up. And so <laughs> I feel like it's an accurate representation that they had figured it out already. That's true. You, you might as well give them a right understanding of what they're getting into. That's correct. Yeah. 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 Okay. That, yeah. Like if you get into somebody's car and they put the stickers. Not in the right place on the license plate, but they put them kind of up and down on both sides and everywhere. Yeah. That's a good indicator, and I don't want to get in that car. That's exactly right. Okay, that's what I thought. All right, so anyway, we're going to talk to Egypt. Uh, I, I'm, I'm super excited. Um, I, I'm interested because I have some favorite tunes, uh, tracks on the album, and, I kinda, and I'm going to run through and kind of get her thoughts on, you're going to guess why they're my favorite. So we're going to talk to Egypt about uh, her new album, Cathedrals. Um, you're going to you're going to dig on this. Uh, um, if you have or have not dug on, on on previous work, I would highly encourage you to check this out. And so we're going to talk to her about that. And she also had promised in a just you know weeks ago Grammys and cheeseburgers. So we're we're going to get into all that stuff and see how things are going. Uh, also, Mike had uh, Mike had an article that he came across says 23 Easter's and the church is gone. Yeah, there's. I got. I got stuck in it in the uh, uh, the Facebook. Uh, the the sound community was having a conversation about it, and and basically they were. It was talking about the declining uh, attendance of denominational churches or whatever. And the the conversation followed was actually pretty decent. So I thought we'd run through it real quick. Okay, sweet. Uh, I would think the Easter will continue. Uh, yeah, it's more. We'll talk about it then, I guess. Huh? Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll involve it. In the, I'm pretty sure the Lord's Day will stand. Uh, just uh, maybe how it's attended uh, within denominational churches is probably what's up for debate. Uh, I also there's a guy in. Uh, oh shoot, I didn't even bother where he's from. I, he was from a Kentucky newspaper, but anyway, he's got a license plate that says "I'm God" on it, and he's fighting to keep it. And uh, apparently there's a roast. He's had it for a decade. So anyway, I thought that's kind of a fun story. So we're going to talk about that. Okay. Okay. That's what's on the docket. So uh, uh, no longer delay. Uh, very, very big uh, hi, how you doing uh, to Egypt. Egypt, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you guys? Uh, we were, uh, yeah, I know, right? And uh, now here's the deal. Don't, don't take this personally. I haven't been avoiding you. I feel like you have been avoiding me. Yeah. 
You know what? I mean, the last time I was there, there was a tornado. So that gives me really good reason to not not want to repeat that. Yeah, shoot. I'm sorry about that. My, I talked to Mike beforehand. He was supposed to get that taken care of, and it didn't go as we expected. I thought she would like the tornado. And everyone's like, yes, Egypt will like the tornado. You should bring it. And I thought I was like the fun guy at the party with that remote-controlled dolphin or whatever. And then all of a sudden, I bring it, and everyone's like, boo, I hate the dolphin. <laughs> Well, if I remember correctly, it also cracked Dominic's windshield. So I think he liked it less than I did, but it was still an adventure. Those dolphins are unpredictable. Right? I think I assume that's something personal in his life that he had coming. Uh, All right, so you've been up to a lot since the last time we saw you, and this is my constant recommendation, whatever your name comes up, is is that they follow you on Facebook because it, it feels random to me. Like, your life maybe feels less random to you, but it looks super random to me. Now, do you ever play out, like, Skyrim or something like that? Skyrim or Fable? No, unfamiliar. Okay, well, well, Skyrim is, like, this giant open-world computer game. It's really cool. But the side quests are really random, so I've always described my life like a, a Skyrim side quest adventure series, because that's what it feels like. Okay, well, you're succeeding, because that's what it looks like. <laughs> Good, good job. <laughs> Thank you. It's the one thing I can do. Like, uh, and, and again, it's got to do at least somewhat with the randomness of which I, things algorithm their way into my Facebook feed. But like, you, you seem like you're on 15 different tours or hanging out with, with 30 different bands. You're playing guitar one night or, or, or rap battling a youth group of some kind. I, it, it's really, it's, it is crazy to follow. <laughs> Uh, yeah. It's not right. <laughs> uh, so, so, I mean, well, what is the nature of all that? Like, do you <laughs> explain yourself? What do you do with yourself? <laughs> how do you how do you, you know end up how did you end up with such a random existence? You know, I, I like to blame my mother. Um, she, like, you know, it's just it's this issue of not like saying no to anything, and I'm always up to try something new. So, like, you're right. One night I am like rap battling a youth group and the next day like I'm rapping with the newsboys or like get to play guitar on switchblade. I'm I'm thankful for it. But it is really random. Like I'll have moments like tonight where like I'm I'm like in bed in my little jammies with my lizard and I realize that there's still stuff that I haven't done like set up for this interview. Um, right. So I mean it's a it's a lot of fun. It keeps you busy uh and and mostly in trouble. But I, uh, I stay in the good kind of trouble, if that makes sense. So, so what is your, um, so given the randomness of it and the, the general embrace of said randomness, what is what does downtime look like for you? Like, what, what has to be going on or not going on for you to feel like, hey, I'm having some downtime? Down, that's that's a thing? That's not a thing. I just said hypothetical yeah. Skyrim type okay, of question. So hypothetically, you know, downtime is I, I'm at home, like, I, I swear my cat gets more use out of my bed than I do. Like, I come <laughs> home and he's genuinely upset because he doesn't have the room to himself anymore. Uh, so downtime, like, looks like playing video games. It looks like I have a bearded, a baby bearded dragon that's about this big. Uh, and making sure that he's all set and, and getting to just kind of hang at home while I'm prepping for the next random bout of Christmas. So uh, this year's been kind of, oddly enough, this year's been kind of quiet. Um, I started off with a month and a half long tour that went from like January 1st to about April 15th. And I was home for a week and I was back out again till the end of uh, from the end of February. And now I'm getting ready to leave until the end of June. So it should be, it, it could be fun. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. Okay, well, well, I might as well embrace the random of it. And it sounds like downtime is only in preparation for more random. So, okay. All right, you, you politician me. You dodged my question and said something else. I see what you've done. Okay, so let's, let's talk about the album. I'm excited about this. Um, 
And so tell me a little bit about, like, walking into, first of all, the, the, the Navy Elmas Cathedrals. Um, why? Yeah, so I, I was really struggling with this release. Like, I normally put something out every year or so because it's not, like, I do spoken word, so it's not like music where I could, like, sit down and write a new chorus. I can't write a new riff, or it, and it's not necessarily fun to sing over and over again. So I'll write all year, and then usually around March or April I'll put something out. Uh, but Letters and Scars, which came out last year, did really well, and yep. it was, I was terrified because, I mean, I, I gained a lot of new, like, followers and people who liked listening to the poetry, and there's always the chance that, like, you're gonna hit your sophomore slump, where this is, like, the second thing that they've heard, and it's, like, either not as good, or they don't like it, or it's different. Yep. Um, so, January comes around, we're getting prepped for the Grammys and everything, and I'm realizing that in two months, like, I'm supposed to have a, another release, and I don't. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm scared to write. I'm scared to, to not write. Like, if I don't write, it's going to get worse. Right. Um, so I took some poems that were already written. So everything on cathedrals was done uh, before the actual recording. Like, these were done before, like, Letters and Scars. They were done before stories. And I wrote stories when I was, like, 12. Um, so it was a matter of, of taking those things and revamping them. But what kind of solidified the release for me was I was in uh, I was in Texas, right on the Mexican border, uh, with a band called Desiring Dead Flesh. And as scary as that sounds, they are a Christian punk band, and I love them to death. Awesome. <laughs> um, right. So we're down on the border, and I, I saw this, like, giant church building right on the Rio Grande where, like, if we throw a stone or sneeze, we're standing, we'll be standing in Mexico. Yep. And the cathedral was huge. Like, it was gorgeous. It was, like, ornately made, but it was also totally empty. Um, like, the doors were all locked, and then we were standing in an area of the community that was not only, like, you could tell it was hurting. There were a lot of homeless people on the yep. streets. There was a lot of trash. Um, there was also, like, bars in all of the windows so that you kind of knew that there was a lot of crime in the area. And I thought to myself, like, if, if this church were to disappear, like, if no one came and if the building was gone, would I notice that they were even here in the first place? Uh, and it, it was hard because now I have to go back and think about my church. Like if my church were suddenly gone, would anyone notice that we were there? And if they did notice that we were gone, like what were we doing as a church? Our, our function is to is to help the rest of the body. We are the ones that are there to to feed the, the poor and the hungry. We are there for the widows. We're there for the orphans. Yep. And if we're not doing that, then what's the point of existing? Like are we just a building with pews that are invitations and excuses for our, our inactivity? Or are we actually going out and being the hands and feet of, of Christ? So Cathedrals is an open letter to the church about some challenges that I've seen and faced and also have had the chance to talk about uh, with people, especially on that tour. Um, with Desiring Dead Flesh, I was the only Christian artist, which isn't to be confused with the only Christian, but I was the only person that was like actively professing a faith in my lyrics. Yep. And I mean, with music, you can hide that. like You could play louder or you could come up with a different riff, but you can't change the poetry. I can't change what I'm saying, otherwise it's it's not the same thing. Yeah. Um, and we were playing at some places that really, like, they, they did not like Christians. Right. Like, we played at a at a bar where one of the guys came up to me after and wanted to know if I, I really believed in Jesus. And I said, yeah, of course. He says, well, I mean, it's really funny because you're nice. Like, I like you. <laughs> you know what? That was not what I was expecting. Like, what? Why? He says, because every other Christian that I've met judges me because I'm in a bar, but you're here and you're not drinking, but you're not upset because I am like, like what, what's wrong with you? And it took me back to thinking about that building and thinking that if this person's only encounter with Christ was an ambassador that was judgmental before they were empathetic and loving, 
then that might be an issue. So I wanted cathedrals to, to be that open letter and not to necessarily, like I wanted to spur change with it, but not start a conflict, more to draw attention to the issues and, and allow churches to kind of open that conversation. Yeah, because I think the, the core assumption, right, is like, I would want to know. I would want to know if I, if I, what I thought was a full building that was changing the world was an empty building, you know, that, that wasn't accomplishing anything of a want. I think at its core, uh, people that love, love Jesus want to see the word of Jesus go out. They want to see good news change the world. Like they want those things. And uh, I feel like the, the, as, as the church, we would want to know. And so we might as well know. Right. Well, it seems, it seems just as scary to have a full building that's not changing the world either. You know, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's fairly indicting and something to think about. <laughs> uh, what are you doing on Sundays? <laughs> so, yeah, so that, that's interesting because, like, um, obviously that theme, that theme, especially after listening to you talk about it, as I kind of cycle through the uh, through the tracks, it, it persists. And I think you catch it, um, you catch it more glaring in, in some versus others. Um, but certainly it's universal. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll give it away. My um, uh, fighting for favorite tracks. So wordplay was my favorite, and then and then uh, handshakes and first impressions ended up being my my uh, top. So it ended up taking the spot. And um, I, I think not only just because it's um, uh, it's great to listen to, um, but but even just the um, there's a normalcy to it of which. Um, I, I think you can continue to perpetuate an existence that feels like you're kind of doing what you should be doing, and then there's something kind of nags that says, maybe this isn't actually everything of what I should be doing, and you kind of know that, but you don't, you don't necessarily know what to do about it, so you kind of get lost in the, in the uh, habit of it. Um, and so anyway, I, I, don't, I, I hope that was the intention, or at least it's a positive attention I took from, it, from that track. You know, the funny thing about, about wordplay was I was sitting on the couch with my grandmother, and we were talking about, like, things that we were seeing on the news and something that was happening at, at, at her church and her community. She's like, no, I just, I just wish we could say what we mean. Like, I feel like we're, we're playing these games of I'm trying to decipher what you mean through your sarcasm. And I know that sarcasm is really the only time when anyone's ever telling the truth. So it, it just feels as though there's this, like, church language, almost like legalese that you have to, to sort through. And so I sat down and I, uh, I actually went and Googled a whole bunch of, like, uh, of paradoxes or things that, like, can't coexist. And realize that in a lot of ways, that's how sometimes, like, I would speak to somebody. Like, like if I'm at church and someone says, like, they're having a really bad day or that they need to uh, or, or want to get something accomplished or need to do something, like, I can say things like, yeah, you know, may the power of God compel you. And I don't really know what that means. But in the same way, like, I can offer helpless thing. Like, if you're having a bad day, like, what's wrong? You have a headache? Like, I have some Tylenol. Like, here you go. And there are, there are practical steps. Yes, prayer is great, but there are also practical steps that we can do to become more involved, not only in our community, but also in our own church body that can help to push that forward. And that's a lot of what wordplay is about. Like, we are playing so much with our language that we're not actually solving the problem. Like, um, the idea that there's a line there, I think, that says atheism is the only nonprofit organization. Yeah. And it's, it's this weird thing where, like, even, like, the guy at the bar, he didn't understand that there was a way I could love him without wanting something from him. Like, I care more about you past your communications card or past your Facebook like or past your, like, review on, on our church building. Like, I care about about you. And if that's a weird space to be in for someone to, to not expect that from a Christian, then maybe there needs to be some reevaluation about what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So um, t- tell me a little bit about... Um, 
uh, as I am. That, that was one of the when we originally started talking. Um, there was Orphan the Choir and As I Am, and I think um, even between those two, and he, those are hard. The whole album is just just fantastic. Um, but As I Am strikes a strikes a chord, so man. So just tell me a little bit about that one. Yeah. So Quiz uh, Quiz is a rapper out of, of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he became one of my best friends just throughout this last year. Uh, and, and as I am, if you've not heard the track, it's a worship song. Like it's it's something. It's got a little more melody, and that's another thing that's different about this this record. But it's got more melody, and it's got really more of a point. And I I remember sitting down to write it, and I'd written the lyrics. I'd written it originally as kind of like a Chris Tomlin esque kind of composition, and I realized that I was trying to hide like a lot of things from like myself and from God and from like the people that I was around. Um, so I tell the story. It shows about how like I'm a terrible cook, and you probably shouldn't allow me around ovens or stoves. Right. Um, I went to go make French fries, and in doing so, set my stove on fire. And in trying to put the stove out, put the carpet on fire, and ended up having to stifle it with my sister's blanket. Right? I still didn't get to eat. It was horrible. <laughs> uh, so I, I, like, dragged all of the carpets around. We've got a welcome mat that's outside of our door, and so I put that in the middle of the living room to try to, you know, hide the hole in the carpet because the living room's got to welcome you home, too. I moved some of the paintings. They're actually on this wall uh, around so that you couldn't see the soot marks. And I went to sleep. <laughs> well, I went to pretend that I was asleep. So when my mom came home, she would have to either wait till I woke up or leave me alone long enough to maybe forget about what was there. Right. But when I got up and when she came and she asked me about it, like, she told me, like, you know, I own this house. Like, you live here. You grew up here. Like, I know you. I know when you're sleeping. I know when you're fake snoring because you don't snore. Uh, but I also know when stuff is out of place and, and you're missing. Like, a lot of things are missing. I know that there are holes in the carpet and you're not in trouble because you set the house on fire. At that point, that was part of the course because I was seventh time that's happened right. uh you're in trouble because you felt like you had to hide it from me like are there trust issues here like are you afraid that i wouldn't let you cook again and in a lot of ways i found that that's what i and other people were doing with god like we have so many holes in our hearts from what we're trying to hide that we're afraid to come as we are for who he is and what he is are the things that could fix those holes he's the peace that we've been waiting for he's the fire extinguisher when we grab our sister's polyester blanket to put out a fire um, so as I am is kind of, it's a reminder to myself especially, but also to others that, that we can come as we are with all of our baggage and all of the holes uh, and all of the things that we're struggling with to a God who not only already knows about it, but loves us in spite of ourselves. Right on. Right, so what's your, what's your favorite, favorite track off Cathedral? It's like picking a favorite kid. Sorry, it's like picking a favorite guitar. I mean, I have a favorite kid. Here's the thing. Yeah, I got three in... I mean, one of them's pretty good. The other two are shitty. You want to you wanna admit that on, like, live internet, if that's a thing? Yeah, they don't use the internet. Well, I mean, my favorite can, because I like her. The other two are not on that. I don't know. Like, I, I'm tied. I love wordplay, because I got to work with uh, Tidy Funk. Uh-huh. We managed to do that. It was fangirling most of the time. Um, I really like Orphan the Choir, and I really like, sometimes I like the silence. Mm-hmm. Um, but every, it's not like they're, like, super far out. Probably sure. with Danny Shipley School. Um, I heard my pastor compared it to DC Talk, and as long as I have dibs on being Michael Tabor, cool. <laughs> but Orphan the Choir and Sometimes I Like the Silence um, probably hit home the most for me. Like, I'm good and bad days. So Sometimes I Like the Silence is the only track on this record without music. 
Um, and it, I had to sit down and think about that today, about why that was. Like, I was going to crunch to finish the record, but I also enjoy writing music. So yeah. there was, like, there was a reason that it was quiet. Like, I found out that when I'm going to sleep, like, I can't, it can't be silent. Like, I have to listen to a podcast. I have to have the window open. I have to move the lizard so that he does something. I have to listen to TV. <laughs> and it was, well, it was scary because I wasn't sure why that was. Like, there are yeah. nights, if I'm not careful, I won't sleep. Uh, and that's not normal. That That's not something that was originally going on. And I thought at first it might have been a comfort thing. Like, it might have been, like, if you wake up, like, you can see where you're going because my room is a minefield. Um, but it became because I needed the distraction. And it gets hard, especially because my prayer life exists when I'm going to sleep because that's the time. Like, that's that downtime that never happens. Yeah, right. When I'm when I'm going to bed, I'm not under pressure to make sure my hair is good. Like I don't care about loading. I don't care about where the next spot is. I care about sleeping and making sure that, that I'm ready for the next day. And part of that rhythm is talking to God. But I found I wasn't talking to God because I can't hear anything. Like I have to listen to this stuff. Yeah. Um, and it, it stemmed a lot from from all the ripping and running, where the only time I had was was usually like if I'm asleep, like outside of a venue or or waiting for something to happen. And so it, sometimes I liked the silence was the, was kind of that, that calm where I realized what was, what was happening. I was missing text messages from friends. Like I was missing, uh, checking up with my mentors and, and stuff like that to make sure that I was like spiritually good, physically good, emotionally good, like set to go. Yep. Um, and it was taking a toll. Like, so I think sometimes I like the silence because of the honesty. Uh, the same reason for Orphan the Choir. Um, that's my favorite poem to do live right now. And then the gospel according to Nana has to be the third because studio time is rough when you add your 73-year-old grandmother just gets downright ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's a random. That's an oh, answer to the random, random with, a, with a big hat and a beanie on. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so uh, if you have not done so, I uh, highly encourage you to go check out the album is Cathedrals. Uh, you're going to do, if you're looking on Spotify, you're going to look for Egypt Speaks. It is available wherever quality items are sold. Uh, so I highly encourage you to uh, to check that out. Uh, so I, I can, we can't leave though yet because there were things on the docket that we did not talk about yet. Uh, like, tell me about the Grammys. How was that experience for you? That was crazy. Um, that was really crazy. I feel so bad. Pastor Wayne Nail, he lives in in uh, Missouri, fell victim to my squealing at six in the morning. Uh, we were aware that there was a possibility that I could go. Like, we knew that I could go to the Grammys that year because I'd been accepted as, like, a and e at the Recording Academy. So that was a big deal to my family. Yeah. Um, what we didn't think would happen was for anything, like, ballot-wise. Like, I write my music in, in my studio. This is my bedroom. And this particular album was written in my bathroom. So, like, right. we, we, were, we were hopeful, but it wasn't something that we were, we were banking on. But around June, I got some notification that it was up for consideration. And what that means is that someone has submitted it uh, and that it's under review by a board. But the board has to describe whether it is, like, ballot-worthy. Because there are some things that shouldn't be yeah, right. um so i was i was half expecting to get denied after that but in like october november i was in missouri playing a show um and i got an email it was like hey like you should really look at your like the nomination ballots for the first round and i got on and started freaking out because i'm going through the spoken word category and there's like neil degrasse tyson like the physicist there's bernie sanders princess leia and like egypt speaks and oh by the way like egypt speaks is you and <laughs> so, I called my mom uh, and kind of I had to take a screenshot of it and, and show her. And there's another round that happens to get to the nominations, which we didn't get through. But the idea that it was there was kind of freaky. Yeah, no um, doubt. 
right. So we got a uh, an invitation in December or so, and we had to put in like our ticket orders and how many people were coming in in like early January. So we got everything in, and then I immediately left and went back on tour. So I was home for two days. Between that, I had time to frame the invitation, take pictures and whatever, and then leave again. Um, went on that tour with uh, DDF and had 24 hours to turn around once I got home. Uh, to, to head out. So I took my grandmother, I took my cousin and myself, and we stayed in New York and, and got to hang out. Um, Casting Crowns was uh, was sitting in front of us, and Juan Devo was one of my Camp Electric instructors, like one of my favorite human beings. So it was really weird to like sit behind him at the Grammys when like your stuff was on the ballot. Yeah, right. Right? Like so was mine. <laughs> nice to see you. Um, got to like see Danny Goki. We hung out with some friends and some larger bands and, and did a few after parties, which. Got annoying when they started carting me and I couldn't go to any of them. Yeah, um, that's true. The one that they did let me go to, they also let me play guitar a little bit, which was, it was nerve-wracking, but it was also, it was a lot of fun. Wait, did, did Nan go to the parties? Huh? Did, did, did Nan and the cousin go to the parties? My grandmother could, you know what, that's what kind of makes me angry. My, my grandmother could have, and she, like, turns up to the bright old hour at 8.30. Uh, <laughs> but, like, my, my cousin wanted to leave because we were invited to one with, like, all of the main bands, the like Bruno Mars and, and whatnot. Yep. But they were they were nice. Like, they went in for five minutes and came back out. Like, I can't go anywhere. Uh, but that was cool. It was a lot of fun. Well, that's, a, that's a crazy experience. Like, what, what's, um... Uh, anything, I don't know, quirky about going to, to Grammys that uh, people watching on TV wouldn't have considered? Yeah, so I thought that, like, during the big televised, like, escapades, that there was stuff happening during the commercial breaks. Like, literally, the director will come on and say, like, hey, we're going to be on in 10 seconds. And everybody scrambles and sits down. They pose, like, the people down the, like, in the bowl, like, all the artists will, like, pose how they want to be seen when it comes on. <laughs> and then the moment it cuts off, everyone stands up and runs around again, and the director is literally pulling his hair out, trying to get everyone to sit back down. Oh, yeah. um, and in a lot of cases, I went back and I watched the, the DVR, and in a lot of cases, like, he couldn't, you couldn't see everyone there, and that was because, like, everyone was still standing up and talking. Oh, right. So the whole room is mic'd, but they will turn off mics in certain places if someone's being, if someone's being chatty. Well, that's going to be so, a rough gig to be the sound. Oh, the man. Because it all happens hours. Like, he has five seconds to figure it out, and then that's it. And it's got to be so hard to get all those people to sit down. You know, like, I mean, especially after a couple hours, it's hard to make millions of dollars. They're like, sit down, Bruno Mars. He's like, who are you? No. You know, I'm going to go over a walk. Well, hey, yeah, that's a tough gig. Yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. Well, well I mean, congratulations on that. That's, I mean, that's super exciting. Hey. Uh, so, so now, now I, mean, I should have started with cheeseburgers, or maybe not. Maybe the cheeseburgers are good. So, I mean, you're out and about. Uh, top cheeseburger. What city? City to get a top cheeseburger. Oh, you're gonna go down to city. Okay. Um, you can go to a specific place and roll up if you have to. Right, no, no, no. So it, it depends on, like, what I'm looking for. If I'm looking for, like, a, like a fast, quick, cheap cheeseburger, then there is a spot in New York across the street from Madison Square Garden that has a deluxe cheeseburger for $2.50. It tastes like absolute poop, but it's cheap and it's there and it's fast. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, but San Antonio, uh, I had been waiting to go to In-N-Out, like, since I started touring. Like, yeah. I was hearing people on the Winter Jam tour talking about how good In-N-Out was and how they make a trip every time. And so I was, like, trying to plan tours, like, the further west I could get based on locations of In-N-Out. And when I found out that we were going to be there in, in January, like, I 
mapped quest how far the internet was from the venue and told the band like we are stopping when we get there like we're gonna take an hour to go and eat like we are sitting down we're gonna eat the stuff and it was it was worth it the fries were not but the burger the burger and the milkshake were absolutely totally so San Antonio the in and out that was there is good and then zombie burger in uh, Des Moines okay right on. So I've, I've never, never been, been doing it in and out, Mike. In and out? No, never been. Dan? Yeah, yeah, they're good. I think it's good. You're missing it out. Okay. Dan, yeah. yeah, much All right. I've heard the fries aren't good. I've always heard they were. I mean, my experience. It's been a while, though. Do you know that that was a big deal? That they that they used to cook fries fantastically, and then someone got all up in arms about uh, the stuff they cooked them in, because they used to use beef tallow or something. Yeah, so it was like up until like 1985 or something, they used beef tallow. And then they said they thought it was a heart problem. And then they switched over to like this this death oil that started to start the uniforms on fire. And it's been a really bad conspiracy theory with Pepsi, right? What? No, go. What is it? What happened? Okay, so there's a conspiracy theory with Pepsi that, uh, or is it Coke? It's one of the two. Oh, no, hold on. This is going to be important, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really important. Okay. Uh, so there's, there's like this conspiracy theory with the drink where they had to switch out like a preservative and a sugar because it supposedly like caused like so all types of issues. And so they, they took the, the thing out for a while and people hated it. It tasted terrible. The stocks dropped. And then when they came back, they put that different additive back in it. And it tasted better, but not quite as bad. And the theory is that they still ended up changing the sugar, but not the preservative. But there were plans to change the sugar at that date anyway. So they're talking about they made the product worse. That way, when they made it better, it wouldn't have quite the impact because it still tasted better than the first prototype. Oh, shifty. Wait, this is not that, not that new Coke business, right? Like when they switch. I think it might be. The, yeah, I think it's Coke. Old Coke, Coke to new Coke, and back to the Coco Classic. Right. Oh. It's, it's like, like when they tried to put that real sugar in the, in the Mountain Dew. That's no good. That red mountain dew with real sugar tastes like feet. I don't know what feet taste like. So it tastes, tastes like that mountain dew with real sugar. <laughs> <laughs> There's no reason to try both. I'm, I'm solidifying that it both tastes like feet. I'll mountain dew with sugar and I'll take your word for it. Yeah, corn syrup, that stuff that will kill you over the decades, that's for me. Gotcha. Uh, all right, all right. Well, hey, so things, things to do, things to do directly after listening to the interview. Uh, one, you're gonna go follow Egypt on on Facebook twice. Do it twice. Yeah, yeah. Do it, you can't do it twice. You click it again. You end up yeah, then you're, then you're I'm anymore. terrible at social media. <laughs> Stop <laughs> talking. You don't get to speak to it. All right. So this is where you're gonna do. You're gonna go follow on Facebook. Uh, you're gonna go. You're gonna go buy that album preferably. Uh, you're gonna find where she's going and you're gonna hang out and, and be part of the, the audience to take it in because I tell you, there's something about taking that in live. Yeah. And I'm gonna double down on that as when it comes to um. Uh, to poetry. Um, I, it's the, the recorded, recorded word is awesome. Taking it in live, there's just something about how it fills the air that, that is just different. All right? So if you can take it that way, take it in that way. Uh, and then, like I said, you go to, if you, so you already bought it. But yeah, then by the time you buy it, then you go stream it on Spotify if you want to. You know, let that thing run. I don't care. Um, but you're going to dig all those things in. The album's called Cathedrals. Uh, we've been um, hanging out with Egypt. Egypt, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I know we interrupted your harassing the cat and the dragon time. And I uh, appreciate you uh, joining us uh, this evening to talk about your album. Uh, thank you. Well, I mean, the dragon thanks you because now he's asleep. Oh, man. Uh, I told you the show was boring, Mike. Yeah, sorry, yeah. The dragon couldn't even say it for it. All right. Well, we'll let you go. Thanks for hanging out, uh, and we'll run into you soon. Sure. Thanks, guys. See you right. later. Bye. See ya. All right. Uh, that was uh, Egypt. How cool is that? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's cool. That's a cool existence. And seriously, like, there's just a random stuff that, that she's involved with. She's impressive. Just impressive as a person. Uh, with the various situations that you find yourself in, 
the um, various things that she ends up doing. Like, there's, there's an amount of bravery in that to be involved in the things that she gets involved in. So very, just very impressive. Very cool. Yeah, really. Like, do you play a bar by the Mexican border? Of course I do. Of course I do. Do you go to the Grammys? Of course I do. I'll be there tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. If, if I have uh, climbed to the amount of success that she has climbed to, I would not waste my time with people like myself. Yeah, I know. I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> she seemed to actually enjoy our time together. I know. That's suspicious. You're right, Dan. I'll check up on her. She sounds like there's accountability people should stop her from doing shows like this. All right, anyway, anyway hey, no, no doubt, though, um, if you haven't uh, listened to the album, go do it. Uh, I was streaming it again today. Um, and I really dig on so the, the, um, the handshakes and uh, first impressions. So it's, it's, it's a story, uh, it's basically about a person during the handshake time at church and, like, all the things that are, that are going through your mind. Um, but then how you recognize that, like, you're really just, you're kind of going through the motions of either shaking hands like you're supposed to shake hands or trying to avoid people. And, like, it, 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 it speaks to a bigger understanding of kind of are you walking through the motions in your Christian life. It's good. It's good. She did a great job with it. It's, she's fun to listen to anyway. Um, I, the, the, I like the tune. There's a sweet bass man back there. And, uh, anyway, that, that's my favorite. So you're looking for handshakes and uh, first impressions. Uh, listen to that, uh, I don't know, first. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, here we go. So the article, Mike, the article that you sent. Where was that here? All right. Um... If it doesn't, if it doesn't stem its decline, mainland Protestantism has just 23 Easter's left. Yeah, so I'm gonna have to, I, I got a caveat here because like it was an article posted by a guy on on one of the Facebook groups I'm on. He's a church church sound and video post or whatever, right? And so I, I read like two two paragraphs of the article, but I got mostly caught up in the comments on the Facebook page, right? Right. And and um, and so basically the. What the guy said is off-topic, but can anyone point me in the direction of any discussion groups that are dealing with the issues facing most mainline churches of declining attendance and membership? Mainline churches are losing a million members a year while non-denominations are growing. Answers must be much broader than louder with more lights. I don't want to start a discussion. Um, I just wonder if anybody's openly talking about this and what can be done, if anything. And the guy, they, they had a couple people that, that started chiming in a little bit uh, about you know discussions on why, and some of it had to do with... Um, just people opting to stay at home and watch online broadcasts of, of churches and whatever and say, screen their sermons. And uh, they said, you know, for the same reasons that, that they're losing, um, you know, viewership uh, at, at sporting events, like people actually attending the sporting event versus just watching it at home, they said they're, they're losing a lot to, uh, uh, to some of the technology as well. Um, but I, I was kind of interested on, on um, you know, what your take on that is. Like, do you have a, do you have a, do they have a solid basis on why they think some of this is happening apart from just people taking a, taking a swing at it? Uh, well, I would say so. I, I think they read, read the article a bit shallowly. So it's, it's an Ed Setzer article. Ed Setzer's, I mean, he's in the thick of it. Uh, he's representing the thick of it. <laughs> so, um, the generals, so let me read part of the article because I think, um, that isn't that isn't the conclusion that the article came to, actually. That it actually that it had anything to do with the peripheral thing. It actually has to do with the main thing. Okay. Um, so it says Christians recently celebrated Easter Sunday, where many churches are robust and full. But if current trends continue, mainland Protestantism has about 23 Easter's left. The news of mainland Protestantism's decline is hardly new. Yet the trend lines are showing a trajectory towards zero in both those who attend a mainline church regularly and those who identify with the mainline denomination. 23 years from now. Now, if you get to the end of the article, he says, obviously, he doesn't expect this is actually the case. It's just kind of an extrapolation of a trend um, for effect. Um, but it says, the, well, the sky isn't following. The floor is dropping out. 
The trajectory, which has been a discussion among researchers for years, is partly related to demographics. Mainland Protestants, which has been the tradition of several U.S. presidents, aren't multiplying with children as rapidly as evangelicals or other differing faiths. And geography matters. Places where Protestants live are now in socioeconomic decline. Parts of the country, like the Sun Belt, are becoming more evangelical with every passing winter. So we'll get a picture. The distinction here is is mainline Protestant denomination. So uh, Lutherans, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Methodist, uh, Methodist. Okay. Yeah. Um, and as, as, as Episcopal researcher Kirk Hadaway explained in 1998, non-traditional groups, including once marginal Protestant churches, smaller sects, and non-Western religions, have increased. At the same time, a growing number of people have shed their particular religious affiliations, saying they're just religious, spiritual, or have no religion at all. And so, um, as you look at the data of the client, the, um, it's interesting. He says that, and we talked about some of the um, surveys before, where self-identification and accounts uh, of regular attendance are imperfect. Remember we, remember we went through that one survey, I think that was, uh, that was a Barna survey, and like, the, the answers didn't make sense, right? Like the types of things that people believe relative, like they answered yes to this, but no to this. You're like, those, those do, you did not think about the questions. These two things don't go together. Yeah. Yeah. And so they didn't make sense. So like the, the measurements are difficult. Um, but it, this was the main part of the article, as he said. It's not the whole story, but here's an argument for at least part of what has happened. Over the past few decades, some mainland Protestants have abandoned central doctrines that were deemed offensive to the surrounding culture. Jesus literally died for our sins and rose from the dead. The view of the authority of the Bible, the need for personal conversion, and more. Some of the mainland Protestants' leaders rejected or minimized these beliefs, beliefs that made the protest in, in Protestantism 500 years ago as an invitation for more people to join a more culturally relevant and socially acceptable church. But if the mainland Protestant expression isn't different enough for mainstream culture, people turn to other answers. Um, and I thought there was, it was very interesting. They have, uh, where's this at here? It is, it is, uh, the question was, is part of the answer for mainland conservatives, or mainland Protestantism to grow more conservative, meaning uh, irrespective of political beliefs, it's um, reaction to biblical doctrine, right? core doctrines of the faith. And so this is what I thought was interesting. Says, a recent study published in the Journal for Scientific Study of Religion, based upon a Canadian sample, goes into the theology of the mainline. As Dave Haskell explained in the Washington Post, we found 93% of clergy members and 83% of worshipers from growing churches agreed with the statement, Jesus rose from the dead with real flesh and blood body leaving uh, behind an empty tomb. This compared with 67% of worshipers and 56% of clergy members from declining churches. 56% of clergy members? This is what I'm saying. So, so, so the, the point, though, is so um, um, the group you, you saw that posted in was like a, it was a, a church, like sound, like tech group, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, they're going to digest the, the um, article, probably the title of the article, within their framework of kind of what they're battling. But, like, the core point of the article really is is that a lot of the things that we are looking for to be levers of this is what people are doing, this is what people are not doing, like, it all comes back to the centrality of the hope of which you're speaking of, right? The core doctrines of the Bible are what people are actually committing to. <laughs> and yeah. like that is, and we call that conservatism. Um, and it's, it's too bad that it's wound up into other things that people are thinking about. But at its core, it's because the core biblical doctrines offer hope. They offer a, a, a truth, uh, something that is bigger than you, something that is grander than you, something that loves better than you, and something that takes all those together and puts them as something that wants to, to work on your behalf and save you and usher you into a real kingdom with a real king. And to the extent that you degrade any of those things, like to the point the article is trying to make, I think, is that you're not actually offering anything. And so 
if uh, now, now I get this kind of this liturgy and I get this formalism of things that I don't understand and don't offer me any particular hope beyond something I could have created myself. And so it is, it is actually a compelling belief system. It's just a culmination of things that people uh, of people's self-interest. And so I, I think I, I actually think the trending of the articles is um, more relevant than I think the discussion on the the sound page. I thought that would make sense. Yeah, I didn't want to hear that. That was my gut feeling. I was just saying, I don't know what they're going to say. You know, he's probably going to, you know, the author has to appeal to a broad audience. He's going to give all these stupid reasons. And I thought, it's doctrine. Every single person who's ever come across my path who came from a mainline, it was a doctrinal issue. It wasn't like, hey, we just love the way you paint your building. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the dumb stuff. It was doctrine. We want someone who, we want Bible. We want to know what Jesus said. We want to understand his word. And, and so, so I'm impressed. I'm impressed that's what they came up with. with. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny that, 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 that like, even without paying attention, people will start to realize that, that um, you know, if you go to church every Sunday and, and, and continue to hear stories on how the God of the Bible agrees with you all the time, like, there's something that starts to rub you oddly. You know what I'm saying? Where you're like, I, I just doesn't feel like I'm, 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 I want to follow this anymore because really this is not what I do. It's right. <laughs> and so after a while... I mean, you don't have to do anything to come in here. You don't have to change your life in any way. You don't have to promote an allegiance or, uh, you know, to a God of, of, a, of a higher power. Because God's okay with what you're doing anyway. And so at the end of the day, you're like, yeah, I don't know why I come here. I can be myself at home and, and, and be in the exact same spiritual spot uh, as far as what they're offering. Right? Like, but, uh, I mean, obviously, if you stick to doctrine and what the Bible says, like, uh, you know, you will start to be convicted of things, and you will start to see the hope in that, and, and, and uh, the driving force of letting you know God run parts of your life that obviously you are incapable of doing um, without Him. And so that's the driving force to continue to go and say, "I want to know more. I want to be part of this community of people that are trying to follow this this Jesus and and, and, and have this hope that He's offering." And, and you're right. When you're not offering that, then it really is just a big building. You're like, I don't know if this is all hassle. Mm. Well, there you go. I think, I think that's, that's almost the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I was really interested in, in that it was really was going to be the, the that people were just going to start taking it in their home and then not, 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 not coming to the building. I mean, I don't see. I, I people have, have. I mean, there's people that can take it at home, but like, and I, 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 I could be wrong here. This is just anecdotal, but like, I mean, people want to be around other people, right? Like, they, they want they want to be part of the worship community. Like, I think it's. Um, um, I, I think, think you got to be. There, there's a transition to using people that hear a message and to try to get them in community, not as a substitute for a community, but like as the ability to um, uh, to engage in a slightly different medium or a persistent medium, and then come be a part of it. But like at its core, like we're made to worship, we're made to worship together. Um, there is there is a value in community, and there's energy in community, there's accountability in community, and so like. Um, I, I, I don't, don't know that people are... It's one of the things that faith offers, right? So Jesus kingdom is set up in such a way is like, that's actually a benefit that we get from it. I don't think at the core that people are trying to ditch it. I mean, I mean so there's just personalities that are trying to... That don't want to be part of it, right? But like, in general, um, I just don't think... I don't think that's where most people are at. Well, I mean, the wave of technology is definitely giving you the ability to learn uh, more if you want. Right? Like, like it, it has not increased your ability for community. The, the same ability to be in community... Has, has always existed, existed right? And so I, don't, I, don't I don't think technology has, has aided or impeded, right? It has just, it has just been. And so, like, your ability to be in a community is there. If you want to be in one, you'll be in one. And if you don't, you don't. 
Um, but what technology has done, a lot like well, even with a lot of the streaming and the podcasts and stuff, whatever, boy, it just allows me to learn a lot more stuff. You know, I can take in a lot more information now, and, and and from a lot more different perspectives, and 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 just really absorb if I want to. My computer doesn't have to change as a result of that. That's just me taking more stuff in, you know, and it, it really is pretty nice. No, and I think also, as far as the technology goes, as as, as time goes on, so, so so many people I have followed through the years that um, you get all excited about their podcast or, or their online you know streaming and stuff. How many of them just completely implode? You know, and not that they all will or all do, but but enough of them do. At some point, you go, maybe I really should be part of a local group. Right. You know, I actually know the, the human being in the flesh. You know, it's not some rock star who sold all these books, but rather uh, someone I can actually have a conversation with and, and know what their life is like. Um, and I think, you know, there is great value, don't get me wrong, great value, I think, to, to the, the podcast and so forth. But again, it only goes so far. It doesn't take you as far as a genuine community in Christ. So. Yeah, right, right. It's, um, so I think that if there's a risk there anywhere, maybe, Mike, to what you were saying, um, is, is that they, um, is that they, they mistake it for being something, right? Like you call online only and you say this is a community. Ah, it's not that there's not aspects that to it. Um, or that I say, well, I can get good teaching anywhere. Um, but the, it just, to Dan's point, like it's just not the same. It's, it's, it is good. Um, but it isn't the same as, as being able to, to sit, um, and listen to someone teach who knows you, right? And who has, uh, who can recognize things that God is doing. Um, and that kind of bringing to them to otherwise share with specific folks or specific groups of people. Um, and you just, um, it's too easy to be faceless and like, God, God loves that face. Get on in it, make sure people can recognize and speak to it. Um, and so I, I think that like, that is really the only risk is the, is calling it something that it isn't. It, um, I think Mike, if I can agree with part of what you're saying, it's that you have, um, I think it doesn't harm me to have access to a bunch of different things to listen to as long as I don't treat that as if it is um, um, better or uh, yeah, supreme to the ability to sit in a local congregation. Same thing as like an online community is great. I just I don't rely on say I have great community if that's all I'm doing is things online. Like I recognize that there's a difference there. And so like that is it's probably the only risk to it is um, thinking that it, it replaces the physical human need for being in, in proximity to each other. Um, or knowing someone, having both of them actually see you in this taking up space in a pew somewhere. Well, I, I mean that's a that's just a confusion with the advances in society, I guess, right? Because like somehow we got people weren't having the same talk in the first or second century, right? Like they weren't going well. Church is the sermon, or church is the worship plus the sermon, or church is about you know what I'm saying? Like they weren't that that's not how they were phrasing it. That's not how they were looking at it. And like we've divvied it up into these things and 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 tried to. Uh, you know, allocate it to these these different boxes and say, well, what is church? I listen to a preacher on Sunday. That's church. Well, I mean, you listen to a preacher on a Sunday. That's what you did, right? But the church is still has God defined it as His body of believers follow Jesus Christ, right? And that's it. And it's, and like and it's it's apart from that that one event thing that we keep trying to point it to, and then pick out. Now we're down to picking out parts of the event and trying to call parts of the event church, right? And like that's yeah, that's really cheapening the whole deal, right? If God wanted it set up that way, I feel like he just set it up that way, but he totally did not. You know, so I, it, it's weird that you even have that option because like, like I said, I'm interested in, in up to what, you know, time period did, did we start even thinking about it like that where it was where it was divvied up this way, you know, where, where people had the mindset that like you just pick out parts of this thing and that part is church. 
you know, what actually makes it a, a Sunday gathering or whatever. Yeah, so I see what you're saying. So you're saying that, like, um, the, the reason those things that we were talking about are risks is because people have, um, as opposed to thinking about being part of a church, as being part of a community and, like, all the various aspects that might be included. Correct. They wanted to create a personal definition of church and then say, well, it's listening to a sermon, and I can listen to a sermon online. Yeah, right. And so then they can say that's church. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay, okay I understand. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and, I mean, there's a... Um, it's, it's it's too bad because there's a there's it's unfortunate because they don't get to participate in the things that otherwise come with being as part of a group of believers. Yeah, hey man, right? you're missing out. You don't know you're missing out. You think you've got the easy track on the thing, but you're actually missing out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yes, I agree. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, so so no decline or decline maybe. Uh, still, still still decline. I mean, I think and I think it's okay. If, like if if that is the reason, I think that's perfectly fine. Let them suffer decline. <laughs> I mean, let any church decline. I don't, I don't care whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's declining for the right reasons. If you're not offering Christ, if you're not preaching Christ crucified, then well, then like, that, I don't know what you're doing. Church that does not speak uh, Christ crucified declines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, because you, it's not a church? Yeah, because the church that gains is the one that does. This yeah. all sounds right. This is exactly how God said it was going to go. All right, they, they could have just changed the title of the article, and you wouldn't, wouldn't even have to read it. <laughs> Church has lampstand taken away. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Great. Seems like that happens. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Man's it, it is in Kentucky. Here we go. It's uh, Frankfort, Kentucky. Um, a man in Kentucky is suing the Commonwealth to be able to use "I'm God" on his license plate. Mm-hmm. Yep. For more than a decade, Ben Benny Hart—that's his nickname, yeah. Benny—used uh, mm-hmm. the license plate "I'm God" in Ohio. Uh, Hart, who is an atheist, told WXIX that the personalized license plate helps to spread the message that faith is an individual's interpretation. That's what I think too <laughs> when I see that. When I see that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah bro. <laughs> okay, I can prove I'm God. Well, this is his quote. I can prove I'm God. You can't prove I'm not. Now, how can I prove I'm God? Well, there are six definitions for God in the American Heritage Dictionary, and number five is a very handsome man. And my wife says, I'm a very handsome man, and nobody argues with my wife, said Hart. <laughs> okay, he's funny. Uh, to a 2016, Hart moved to Kentucky, where he wanted to keep the specialized plates. However, a letter from Kentucky transportation officials informed him he had been denied the specialization because the plates could be considered vulgar or obscene. The ACLU and the Freedom from Religious Foundation have both joined Hart to sue Kentucky, stating the Commonwealth had violated free speech. Kentucky officials say an I am God is not, a good, is not in good taste, and could lead to confrontations or to distracted drivers. While Kentucky moved to have the lawsuit dismissed, a judge recently ruled the case would move forward. Hart says the lawsuit is more than just about a specialized license plates. It's also about guarding against the encroachment on a person's rights. I think everybody should stand up for their rights, Hart told WXIX. If you've got rights, you should stand up for them. And if someone's abusing your rights, then you should stand up to that. Well, does that mean that if I wanted to get a license plates in his state that said I'm God, he would just he would cede it to me because it's my right to have to do so? Or would he fight me for or it? Ben is a fink. Yeah. Yeah, Ben. Benny. Bit down with Benny. Ben, yeah, Benny yeah. is. Ben is not God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's tricky. I mean, what do you think? I mean, we we believe in an American society that this man should be able to have his license. But I don't really give a rip. I'm, if I'm. <laughs> well, I don't my, care. Putting my two cents worth. I mean, he's obviously not the Lord, so uh, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to offend me. I might, you know. Crack a few jokes in the car about the guy in front of me with the, with that license plate. But, yeah, uh, I mean, we like meeting a guy at the grocery store, and he's like, "By the way, I'm a purple dragon." I say, "Just sir, you definitely right. not a purple dragon." <laughs> I hope they pay you, pay you well for that. But be well. There's nothing I can do for you. I know you made a purple dragon. It's all that matters to me, I guess. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. I read it. And I thought, you know, I, you know, he's wrong. I don't know what I want to 
care to do anything about it? You know, I'm not sure it's going to start. A, here's the deal. It, it, let me ask you this. Kentucky says it might start fights. What, what does that say about the Christian witness? <laughs> it's the same thing that Egypt was talking about, right? Like, I mean, is there any Christian out there that's going to be angry at this? I mean, he's blaspheming. I mean, it is, it is wrong. I mean, it's a terribly wrong. I thing mean, to, to be say. fair, he's not claiming to be the Lord, the Yahweh. He's just a regular Elohim, a guy that can be easily ignored. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's, let's be honest. There, there are some people that uh, get a little aggressive on on their faith, and uh, I mean, they are probably right. It'll, it'll cause some confrontation. You know, we we went to the atheist convention a few years ago, and there were people out there arguing in the streets. And I'm thinking. Houses that you know, what are you doing? Yeah, you know, right. You know, but so that's going to happen. It's, it's just going to happen. And and so if a state wants to regulate, you know, what's on the license plate, I mean, we can go back to just numbers and letters. You know, take yeah. them all away. I mean, yeah, if you're, it's not a right. Yeah, I, well, I suppose though, if you're going to allow, if on their stance they're saying we allow specialization, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure. This is why. Way. This is why I don't have a problem with it, right? Like, it, 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 as an American free right thing, like. Uh, what, what's the classic from the American president, right? Like, if you want to be able to get up on a, on a soapbox and yell what you believe at your loudest voice, you have to allow the guy that completely disagrees with you to do the exact same thing uh, uh, with his, right? And that has to be okay. And that's the conversation, right? He, if he wants to write, I'm God on his license plate, I can't imagine why I would care. He's not the Lord. <laughs> I think he'd reach more people if he just opened a Twitter account. You know, here's here's what I actually irritates me about this guy is I'm really tired of people shanking everybody else with a one inch blade. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm gonna change the world to kick, to kick. You know what I'm saying? Like I bruised your, I bruised your pants with this with this license plate. Will you do if you believe in something? Will you do something? You know, you bought this pocket knife and you're out there ganging people in a parking lot. You know, I mean, do something. You know, and this is not a stance. You're not taking a stance. You're armchair quarterbacking from a license plate. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. He's not even that committed. Like, if this is the ground of which you refuse to cede to change the world, uh, he's yeah. ain't doing it. You know, it's just, it should be embarrassing. We should, we should be laughing. Kentucky should laugh. Everybody should oh, laugh. Yeah. If he were God, would he need attorneys? Yeah, that's right. He could. Here's the deal. If he were God, he could get figure out how to get an apostrophe on there. Because really, what it says is, "I am space God." Yeah. Hmm. What? Hey, actually, I wonder how carefully they restrict that. Like, if I wrote, if I said I wanted it to say I am, I am, would they permit that? Ooh. Now, see, I would suggest you not do that. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't want to do it personally. That's a mistake, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand. Okay. <laughs> okay. People might think it's like dog food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, a, like a commercial campaign. You know, I am, I am. <laughs> to, the, to the extent that it, uh, that it might cause fights, like, I actually find personalized uh, license plates handy. Because then I know who I'm upset with. Yeah, yeah. I say, oh, I see you just passed me in a rude manner, Dave. Yeah. Cluster 27. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, okay. I would I would more, as an atheist, be embarrassed at his terrible attempt for social commentary by spending $15 right. on a license plate. This is the best we can do. We've sent this old fellow out. <laughs> yeah. Bet he's on the rocks because his wife thinks he's handsome. I was allowed to one-inch shank people in Ohio. I don't know why I can't do it in Kentucky. <laughs> Seriously, dude. Get more committed to something. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, as Christians, we're th- you're supposed to give this whole life away. What do you want, Lord? I'm in. 100%. Sell all my stuff? No problem. Move to blah, blah, blah? I'm in. 
Well, you know, and, and that's what the Christians are committing to. This guy, like, I give you 15 bucks, maybe you put the opposition on my license plate. Yeah, okay. Well, there's a Jesus man at the DMV. He was supposed to do missions work in Ghana, but the Lord said, no, no, hang back. I need <laughs> a special mission. You fight the good fight. Hang back. I don't want to save the Ninevites. Send me to Ghana. <laughs> and don't forget to wear a Christian T-shirt. <laughs> Uh, all right, all right, Mike, what do we, you got, people need advice? Dear Life from the Past? Yeah, there we go. A girl is tempted to choose a college close to home. Mm. Dear Life from the Past. This is rife with drama. My daughter is graduating from high school and will be starting college. It, is all, uh, it was always her plan to go to a school away from our small town, and I supported that decision. However, six months ago, she started dating her first real boyfriend. His parents have offered to pay all expenses if the two of them live in an apartment and go to a school at a college nearby. Financially, this would be very helpful for my daughter, but I'm worried that moving in with a boy at such a young age would be a mistake, and she wouldn't get the full college experience. Her boyfriend is wonderful, and she's very happy in the relationship. She has a scholarship for free room and board at a college three hours away. I can tell she's very conflicted. What do you think I should encourage her to do? Not move in with a boy. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of your college decision, uh, let's choose purity first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that her impression is, is that you cannot get to get the college experience by settling down too early and shacking <laughs> up with this guy. <laughs> there might be more. She might be coming at it from the opposite end. Opposite That's speaker. what I'm getting the vibe of, yeah. Yeah, she'll be getting the college experience every night if that happens. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, so I would say, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know that you have to encourage her. I mean, she should do what she wants to do as far as what school she wants to go to. But regardless of what school she wants to go to, uh, would say you should you should be by yourself or find another fine lady roommate. I don't understand. Until you're ready to commit to marriage. I don't understand how this math is adding up. She has a scholarship for free room and board at a college three hours away. How is this apartment helping her financially? Because she has the same cost. She can be closer to home and have sex with her boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sure. <laughs> I don't. I'm not sure about your parenting. <laughs> I'm conflicted on which way to encourage her. I mean, I think you need to go to the college that is going to best suit the educational goals you have of, of where you're going in your life. I mean, what are you going to do? Um, so, so is the call, you know, pick that. Uh, if it's the right guy, it'll, it'll still work out. If it's not the right guy, it's going to fade away. Yeah, you know, maybe you're just, you're, you're taking a very cheap view of life, right? Like, yeah. the, the goal is to figure out what's the right thing to do and then figure out how to do the right thing. Not, what am I able to do? Is it half crappy? Well, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of crappy. Yeah, I mean, it's better than being terrible crappy. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll do that. That's not good living. That's not figure out the right thing to do and do it. That's you scheming. You're taking a scheme at things. And that's, that's not a good way to live. Yeah. I mean, apart from obviously the purity issues, and and you slicing yourself into a relationship uh, with a man that's I mean you're, this is a six month relationship so far right and 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 you, you have the one of the biggest times of your life coming up where you're supposed to be spending most of your time studying and learning your new profession or whatever you do at college and you you've added drama to your life apart from the fact house. Yeah. that you're that you're that you're that you're playing house with a, a gentleman you've only known for six months and are not married to hey I'm a little bit suspicious of the of the dude's parents unless this guy's just such a so it's just a flake that they're trying to get him locked down to something so it doesn't cause a problem in life. Yeah. But, like, hey, yeah, why you, would they even offer that up? Why would they just say, son, I will pay for your apartment? Yeah. And whatever. Well, they're saying, son, we're going to hire you a prostitute, and you won't have to worry about that. You can focus on your studies. This is not good. You don't have to no. chase the girls. We'll, we'll hire one to live with you. 
Well, yeah. that's poor thinking. That's bad thinking. It's yeah. bad all the way around. Where our, our solid advice here is you should go, even if it's the closer college is the better choice for you, then go there. But you're still going to pay for room and board separately. You're just not going to live with this man. That's not a good idea. Uh, Segler says, your concerns are valid. The boyfriend's parents made a generous offer, but although your daughter may be crazy about their son, she should not accept it. She and this young man are starting new chapters in their lives. They will be meeting people and forming all kinds of new relationships. Forgive me for seeming negative, but what if the romance sours? Oh, no. Will his parents still be willing to pay for room, board, and your daughter's education at the same college? Wow, she was offering to pay for the education, too? What? No. Oh, I missed that. This is outrageous. Your daughter has earned her scholarship. Three hours distance is, is insurmountable. They can still see each other if they wish, but the separation will allow them more time to concentrate on their studies as well as enjoy the full college experience. Hmm. I'm a little bit suspicious of this full college experience, but in either case, that seems, I mean, roughly okay. I mean, I, I wouldn't want my where I live, like, without a committed marriage relationship. Um, I mean, I wouldn't want where I where I stay to be dependent on whether I'm in good graces with my boyfriend at the time whose parents are paying for the place. Yeah, that's the thing, is when your living situation is based on whether you have a good working relationship with someone's parents. That's bad, right? Yeah. That means that one disagreement puts you out. And then all of a sudden, not only your college education and the place you were staying are now no longer available to you. True. And yeah, then and you, you want to base that all on six months? That's right. Yeah, Dan's right. You lost the scholarship. So, like, you went down the path, and now you can't get back from it. And, like, here's the deal. Like, if you're a non-Jesus person and you think you're overreacting on this purity principle, just recognize that there's problems that, that you don't have when you follow the purity principle. Like, there's not all this negotiation and, like, uh, it comes with other things. I'm with you. But, like, just <laughs> some of this complication just doesn't occur because you're not going down a path like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Dear Life from the Path. Oh, no. This is, it looks like a soapboxer. Oh. We seem to be living in a time of instant gratification. Yes. Like when you can write somewhere and they will instantly publish your letter. <laughs> I'm hey, talking. Hey, when did they come out with instant jello? Dan, you're old. Uh, 50s? I don't know. 40s? Okay, then. Now, here's the deal. I don't want to hear any of this crap about instant gratification if you've had instant jello for the last oh, roughly 70 years. Yeah, I mean, what's a front door? You're instantly outside. I don't see anybody complaining about that. Okay, go ahead. I'm checking out this instant jello thing. You're live from the past. We seem to be living in a time of instant gratification. I'm talking about cell phones. People well, think they must answer their cell phone no matter what. It's ridiculous. When I call someone and they answer, I start talking only to be interrupted with something like, I'm involved in something right now. Call you back. Once, an employer told me she was in the bathtub. My question is, why are these people answering in the first place? If you can't talk, let it go to voicemail. Unless you think I'm calling to give you money, a lot of money, the conversation could probably wait 10 minutes. What do you think? That's it. Yeah. Soapbox and follow-up question. I probably answer my phone 46% of the time. You answer text messages more often? Yeah. Yeah. If it's a text message, I know that they know who I am. If I don't know the number, I, I never I never answer a number if I don't recognize it. And sometimes if I do recognize a number, if I'm with someone else, I'm, I'm still not going to answer it. Actually, I, you know, I feel like I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, because I know that most people carry their cell phones with them all the time, if you don't answer the phone when I call, I get kind of upset. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost certain you got your phone within two minutes of you or two inches of you. And when you looked at it and saw my name and thought, no, I ain't going to answer it, that makes me mad. I get upset about that. Ben, do you ever do that to me? Uh, no. 
You ever see my name on the phone? And you're like, nope, not gonna happen. No, I generally answer the phone because you don't, you you only call if there's a problem. No, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you'd, you'd be using the text message. That's here's the deal. Phone calls make me nervous. Either I don't know you, or something has necessitated a phone call that a text wouldn't do, and then it makes me nervous. Well, sometimes yeah. things are complicated. If you try to hash it out over text message, it took an hour when you could have just called a guy and talked it out in a couple minutes. Yeah, no, I mean, I know what you're saying, but that just isn't my experience. I prefer the phone. People are like, hey, my marriage is in trouble. Or, hey, I hit a deer. Or, hey, would you like to buy some kind of website service? Those are the three types of calls again. Yep. So, I mean, I, I'm just saying, it makes me nervous to pick up, pick up the phone. <laughs> I mean, I suppose I could see it. I would. I still, I prefer phone calls. I like I like getting phone calls. I will answer them most of the time. And if I can, I won't. That's true. I mean, I get the guy's complaint. I see people talking on the phone at the gas station line all the time. That irritates the snot out of me. Where people are acting, you know, they're just having, carrying a conversation on and they're trying to pay for the Doritos and gas. And the lady's thanking them for being there. They don't say nothing. They just walk out still having the conversation. No, I mean, yeah, that's rude. That's really rude. Hey, man. So it's, it, it says this on the Wikipedia article about Jello. It says Jello is especially popular among members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Huh. Did you know that? The Mormon Corridor region, which has the highest Mormon populations, was nicknamed the Jello Belt. <laughs> I bet that not flattering. It supported this image. Jello was designated as Utah's official state snack food in 2001. Hey, wait a minute. That's recent. Oh, when drafting the resolution, the Utah legislature gave many reasons to recognize Jello, including that Utah had had the highest per capita consumption of Jello for many years, and how citizens of Utah had rallied to take back the title. After Des Moines, Iowa exceeded Utah in Jello consumption in 1999. I remember. I remember that. You remember that? <laughs> that was the big talk. Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, oh man. man. Just before the end of the millennia, we decided to bolster up our Jello intake, huh? <laughs> that will last on a shelf for years. At yeah. least the power goes out. Jello is often served with homemade cookies or cakes and water at LDS church socials. Ooh, water. <laughs> the stereotype. <laughs> I see you're having water and Jello tonight. <laughs> the stereotype of Mormons loving Jello does not appear to have a long history. Media reports in 1969 and 1988 on foods popular among Mormons or in Utah make no mention of Jello. <laughs> and a 1988 article mentions Jello as a Lutheran tradition. I had no idea. I had no idea all this was going on behind my back. Wow. This Jello fracas. <laughs> it doesn't say when it was, you know. Invented or yeah. uh, no? That's what I was looking developed. for. I can't get anybody to say like uh, when they, when they did instant. I was looking for like instant. Maybe I just need to look for instant pudding. Maybe it's always been instant. Like you don't cook Jello, do you? Well, you boil water. I mean, uh, put, well, pudding. I'm thinking pudding. Yeah, well, I mean, chocolate Jello was added to the history inventory in 1936 oh. and was an instant pudding, which was made with milk. The Jello no bake dessert line was launched in 1966, which allowed a cheesecake to be made in just 15 minutes. There's always room for Jello. Was going to 1964. Wow, it's been a long time. Yeah, I guess. How puddings have changed through history. Okay, anyway, continue. Did we give advice? No, no. But, well, we're just asking if you agree with the instant gratification cell phone behavior. Yeah, I mean everything is a relatively instant gratification. It would be like uh, when they invented the car. Yeah, you used to have to t- hitch up the horses or whatever, and now you can get there faster and you can make the same claim. Same thing as hopping on a plane. And so, like, it's a relative distinction. Uh, people are always wanting the thing that they want, and they want it faster. It's the nature of wanting something. And so it's not – it's different, but it's not new, this this thought of, like, the times change and whatever you think was happening back when, uh, you know, people are getting it more instantly. The world is moving faster. It always has moved faster. And so, like, I don't 
I get that it's different and that it's accelerating, but I'm not sure it's a, it's a unique complaint. I don't know that that's relevant to the fact of people, like how people engage in that or like rudely use technology in ways that they shouldn't. I also think that's irrelevant to time. This just gives you another means to express your idiocy and how you go about that type of thing. Yeah. Like if you tell me, you tell me 10 years after the, the vehicle was, was invented, there's not some teenager driving another teenager who's got his white moon hanging out the window. No, that's classic. ten years. Yes. He figured out a way to show his butt out. Yeah. Do you think I should put my fanny out this window? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think I should. Let's right? take a spin. That's that's not the car's problem. Just like it's not the phone's problem that you answered it when you went to new taking a bubble bath. That's you problem. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I hear you. It's just people being able to express their problems in a quick manner. I'm dangerous. Yeah. Uh, Secular's advice was: I agree. You'll get no arguments from me. That was it. Huh. You got, you got time for one yeah, more? Yeah, we can, we can do one more. That one left me uh, disappointed. Yeah. yeah. Dear Live from the Path. I am in my 30s and moved out of my parents' home 10 years ago. Last week, I decided to visit them, and we went out to eat. Dad has a habit of sending his food back to the kitchen. Oh, no. My steak isn't cooked enough, or my food is cold. Could you warm it up? He even does this at restaurants that aren't fancy. <laughs> like where? Dad has done this my whole life, and he's in his 60s. It's embarrassing for me and mom, and it frustrates the cooks and wait staff. Is there a polite way of telling him to stop this behavior? He takes any criticism personally. Good, because that's how you were leveling it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If he took it uh, as a populist, <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> it's a personal critique. <laughs> uh, no, and it sounds like doing it politely isn't working. I mean, is it really a problem? It's his food that gets spit at night, yours. Harold, you're embarrassing everybody. If you keep this up, we're going in without you. I won't divorce you on it, but I ain't taking you out to the restaurant. I mean, what causes a guy to do this? You know, like, is it true all the time? And the rest of us just don't want to say anything. Like, are you are you very gracious with the food you get at a restaurant? And you're like, eh, the a little cold. They're edible. Boom. Yeah, yeah, I'm generally like that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so, I mean, is this dude just, he's just more honest than others. Like, you know what, just stay game right. I think I'm going to have you put that on for a little longer. Right. I paid I paid a buck ninety eight for this double cheese. <laughs> Everybody sees this big wall of social faux pas, and, and old Herman here, he don't give two rips. <laughs> he doesn't see it. He, you know, he's just like one of those guys that can't read the temperature of a room. People, everybody's mad at him. He don't know the difference. He says, you know what? Put this toast back in for another click. Something wrong with it. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it really depends on how you do it. There's probably a um, there's probably a gracious way to do it. I think yeah. the implication is that it's embarrassing and he's doing it poorly. Well, he says, oh, like one of the examples was, my food is cold. Could you warm it up? I mean, that's that's nice. He doesn't throw it at him and be like, warm this up. It's gruel. I mean, is it really cold? Well, I don't know. That's the thing. I wasn't there, man. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't. she's not saying that he's not right. I guess, I mean, he's either making it up and just likes to complain, which, I mean, anybody that has ever worked in a restaurant will tell you, I mean, if you make a show of it and it really wasn't their fault, they're going to spit in your stuff, friend. Yeah. <laughs> that's just what's going to happen. And so, like, that's not in his own best interest, but... I mean, why is it embarrassing to you? I'd let it go. Yeah, I mean, I think as if, if he has a $10 hamburger and they're charging him the full $10, I think he, he's thinking I should have the full value. Yeah. Or charge me $8. Right. Because it's not a, it's not worth 10 bucks to me right now. It's it's medium, you know, cool. Yeah. Right. Eight bucks and I'll spin the wheel of temps. This is like, what I get. we'll disagree with each other. You're going to pay full price? Or charge me full price? I'm with the full value. I'm, I'm, full I'm almost value. guessing yeah. that there's been times in her life where she's appreciated her dad's uh, social faux pas. Yeah. Like, like, he doesn't notice it, right? 
You know, like there's always times when like you're you don't want to be the guy that has to go up and say, "Hey, I lost my wallet. Did anybody find a wallet here?" Because you frustrated. And old dad, he don't care. He'll yeah. go rocking right up to that counter. Hey, man, my my daughter lost her purse. Where is it? Yeah, <laughs> I knew you. Had. I know it's in this one of these booths somewhere. Let's hand it over. He does not embarrassed at all. Yeah. And so there has to be times where his behavior yeah. has been a pro, and you're just picking this particular one and settling him with it. That seems unfair. I'm on that side. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I need to know the details to parse this out. But I mean, you're right though. It's like it's not. He's not wrong. He's just doing things that most people are afraid to do. Yeah. He's yeah. like super. They don't think it. Yeah. I feel like this happened to me recently. I ordered. Oh yeah. I ordered a steak somewhere because I was out to eat on, on uh, uh, and I never ordered a steak, but I was by myself and I thought, well, shoot, I'll order a steak. And uh, they asked me how I wanted it cooked, and I thought, I don't shoot, I don't even know what the options are, but I didn't want to ask. I was too embarrassed, so I said, I'll take the middle. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so then I think what I was asking for was like a a medium, a medium, and what I got was was certainly a medium well, if not a well, and then I thought, and it wasn't great. Yeah. But then I thought, I, you know, what do I know? I'm not, I'm no steak man. <laughs> maybe what I, maybe they gave me what I asked. They would know. They cook steaks, and so I just assumed I was wrong in the matter, and I ate. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Permanent open. <laughs> All right, I, you know what? Fine, I like him. Here we go. Secular's answer. You are certainly free to tell your father that this habit embarrasses you, but after all these years, you and your mother are not going to change him. Restaurants are the hospitality business. If your father is satisfied with his food, he has the right to ask that it be served to his liking. And most restaurants will gladly comply. We're not responsible for the actions of other people. And because of that, you should not feel embarrassed about something over which you have no control. Yeah, I, I think you should let it be. So frankly, this, this character sounds like Hoot to me. And I'd like to go out and eat with him. I, he sounds like a fun man as far as I'm concerned. Hey, man, they're, they're going to spit in your food just because you're hanging out with Herman. Well, I mean, I've been like, woo, get him, Herman, send it back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, That's but, right. I mean, if, well, I mean, if he's right, he's right. I, I think... I want to say, man, these fries don't taste very good. And he'll say, ma'am, yeah. he'll come over and do it for me. Yeah, this young man's fries aren't right. You should put the fix on him directly. Oh, man. I'm a pansy. Yeah. i got to change my ways. Be more like her. I want to be like her. It's got to be yeah, It's got to be really bad before I'll, I'll take something back. Yeah. I, mean, I do do it, but it's pretty rare. It's very rare. Actually, I'm pretty sure I've received the wrong order on multiple occasions, and I thought, well, I don't know, I'll just give a shot. <laughs> we, were at a, we were at a restaurant. Uh, a couple, three days ago or whatever. It was, uh, and it was a fast food type joint or whatever. Um, and they straight up just gave us the wrong order. But we, we don't eat at this place ever because it's one of the places you only find down south. And, um, I, I didn't actually have any idea what the food was supposed to look like in the first place. So I got, I'm like, yeah, this is it. This looks right, I think. They showed up two minutes later and after we'd eaten some of the fries and it'd be like a half a piece of fish or something. And they said, hey, you guys got the wrong order. You want to change it out? I said, well, I suppose, you know. They said, we weren't really going to bring it up if everything was cool, but maybe we thought we'd better ask. I said, I, you know, I don't know, it's too late now. Let's just call it an even. They're like, no, we're changing it out. Took the place away. Brought out new food. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> this sounds good. I thought, you're right. I think I would just let this go. But it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> the food was ambiguous anyway, you know. <laughs> Hmm. All right. Hey, you're a little bit of life in the past. Well, I don't know what I'm talking about. You've been listening to life in the past. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight. We really do appreciate it. Be sure to check out Cathedral by uh, Egypt Speaks. Uh, buy, buy that up. Go check it out live. You'll dig on it. Um, next week, I may have a special uh, interview lined up. Uh, I'm waiting for some confirmation. But it'll be interesting. If it, uh, if it happens, you'll know it because you will be listening. Right on. All right. So uh, in the meantime, be faithful in the means. God will handle the ends. You've been listening to Life in the Path.